what was I going to say was, uh, tell me about the story you're going to tell me. You were gonna, like, I'm going to save this story for on air. It's not really a story, but in teaching, I have been observing the way my students use language, which is somewhat related to both of our topics today. And there are definitely like Cantonese words that I learned from them or that my Cantonese improves from listening to them speak. Another thing I have observed is their use of English words. They combine English and Chinese in interesting ways. Namely, they just use the first syllable of English words. For example, to say that something is really frustrating, they'll say, whole frust. Yeah, no, this is something that I've... Did you know this already? I did not. I mean, I wouldn't break it down into like that whole thing, but like uh, when I first moved to Hong Kong, like I played football with a lot of like um, local players and sorry was just abbreviated to sore. Yes, 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 yes. Well, I'm aware of that so too. I'm aware of that, but I like didn't know it was... <laughs> or- I like the story with the swear in it. I don't know if I should say it on air. Do we beep Cantonese swear words? I don't feel like this matter. has ever happened before. You know where people say saw gao? Yeah. Gao is a swear word. Hopefully my mother never listens to this podcast. And so p- people will say saw gao when they're like kind of joking with friends and yeah. like sorry but not sorry. Yeah. Um anyway, they I've heard my students use frustrating as just frust. F-R-U-S. And then I've also heard them, instead of saying present or presentation, they just say pre. And then Stanley, my partner, was not like genuinely annoyed, but he was like, pre is a prefix for so many things. How can you possibly shorten present or presentation to just pre when it could mean anything? No, but this is kind of interesting because it does delve into my topic too, but it's like one's interpretation of context is actually so important that's what i said because for my students as classmates they know exactly when they say pre that they just mean the presentation that they have to do that is the only pre word relevant to their lives exactly one one thing that i found interesting too just recently so there are times when so myself and season who's a producer at adam studios and alex sometimes we we speak with different clients who we might converse in English, right? But not all of our clients are necessarily native English speakers. For us, season I, because maybe we have the ability to understand grammatical structure in different languages, then things that come across as grammatically incorrect, we can actually parse and like make sense of it a bit easier. Yeah, Cause, yeah, totally. Because uh, it was funny. We had some a message come through, and like Alice was asking, like, "What, what does this mean? Does it does it make it doesn't make sense, right?" But I was like, "Oh, like." It, I never questioned it because I was just like, oh, it's probably just like not grammatically correct, but I know exactly what he's saying. Because I was more like interpreting, are you, do you think that the way because he's worded it, he's like throwing shade at you? And yeah. I was like, no, it's not. It's actually just because like maybe structurally or maybe even he was like writing something and then he wanted to diffuse it. So he added this word at the end. I think you can also tell when people are translating in their head from Cantonese. As both Cantonese or any language, and English yeah, speakers. Yeah. You can, well, yeah, sometimes you don't even need to know the language that they're translating from, but you can tell based off of the grammatical structure yeah. that this comes from. It makes sense to them in another language. Yeah. Yeah, there's like one other example I wanted to share with you. Sometimes when I'm on the subreddit for soccer, there are people that share tweets in other languages, right? And you can tell they're like translated. And it's interesting because 
all the context is there, but you just like you kind of tell something's off. So, for example, here's a tweet. Danny Alves has indeed offered himself to Barcelona, but the club isn't considering his return as of right now. You don't think that sounds weird? I, mean, I do think fun. it sounds weird, but I also don't understand it based off of the other proper nouns in that sentence. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I believe you. I don't know. How, like, if I was to say this as a native English speaker, I wouldn't word it like that. But it doesn't It doesn't really make a difference. Yeah. Right? But it's interesting it. how you can just, like, kind of establish. I mean, we're going to talk about this more, I think, with both of our subjects. But, yeah, grammar is not a must in a lot of times. Do you know what? Situations. Uh, I'll honestly say, I think we talked about this before, but, like, Grammar is such an important structure, and obviously it's important for communication. But at the same point, like I've I've loosened my grip on the importance of grammar in a world where there's communication across mm-hmm. multiple languages in one established language, which is often not often, but like you know, business language is a thing for yeah, a reason, right? Sure. That sure. that's kind of what I'm saying. I think it's like you know, you already mentioned context being really important. It's like contextual relaxation. Of your language oh, usage. One. Thank you. Yeah. In the business of coining phrases now. I have an example that which is an inside joke, which is also becoming relevant soon, from a streamer that Stanley and I both watch. And this is actually from 2017. But if you are part of the group of people who watch this streamer, you are like, you use this as a common phrase. And this person like a non-native english speaker responded to the streamer once to say disagree the game i serious fun and essentially he's expressing that he disagrees with the streamer and thinks that the game is really fun yeah but the construct is yeah just funny well no i don't mean funny in a sense where like i want to laugh at that person but it's like as a native english speaker you couldn't come up with constructions like that Mm -hmm. but i probably say equally as random weird things in cantonese yeah exactly like my my cantonese is off yeah because i'm probably using more of an english structure to phrase my stuff yeah anyways there's probably some chinese language podcast right now making fun of non-chinese native speakers yeah this is making it up episode 189 co-hosted by myself, Sharice Poon, and Eugene Can. We come together on a weekly basis to talk about things that we are interested in, have questions about, want to get each other's thoughts on. Making It Up is produced by Makin, which is original storytelling at its purest through captivating audio, engaging words, and beautiful visuals. Making It Up is an exercise in analyzing and dissecting important movements in creative culture. It's an opportunity to sound off in each other and make sense of the complex, intertwined world we live in. We try to come to some sort of conclusion in order to be helpful to you, our listeners, but really we are working through things and we appreciate you working through them with us. Making Up is supported by our generous Patreon members. To help us keep going, consider becoming a member at patreon.com slash makin for Discord access, shop discounts, exclusive newsletters, and more. So my subject this week is... From an article, an essay written by Paul June, a writer who I think is friends of friends of Macon, adjacent to some folks who support us. And he wrote this essay called The Four Dirty C Words of the Internet. The C words in question are content, culture, community, and creator. According to him, he says that they their use has become quote, very problematic. But essentially, he argues that the use of these four words are 
unclear and that the use of them has become diluted. So in his opening, he says, when you can't use the empty C words, you'll generate real language to make your ideas specific and clear. When you can avoid calling your work content, you give yourself a fighting chance to build something significant. And then he goes like word by word. So from content to culture, to community, to creator, to highlight what are the issues with people's use of those words and what might be more helpful. This is really interesting because I came across a tweet the other day and I was going to respond, but I was like, oh, I'm in the go. I hate tweeting from my phone because like sometimes I want to think about it, which is why I'm actually quite bad at social media because I feel like it should be well-constructed, right? But basically, this guy was coming up, I don't want to say like catchphrases, but basically he wanted to reinterpret and redefine community building Mm. into a new word. And I was like going to reply, I'm like, well, because you're entering into a new space that has a little bit of a slight pivot into what community building is, maybe it's okay to use community building to start off before bringing people into a more complex world, which I feel is a little bit in line with this, where it's like arguing that the words that you just mentioned, those four C's, are actually overly simplified. But if you're trying to bring in new people, and it also depends like who you're talking to, right? Certain people may have an elevated form of vocabulary to allow you to just bypass these four C's and go into something a little bit more pointed. I would say that, yes, I think that's important to recognize as well as like, who is using these four C words in what context? We keep using context and other C word, which I think is still very useful. I would continue using context. Um, I think Paul's essay is directed towards individuals, individuals who are photographers, writers, people who are making things and making an argument to those individuals as to how their use of language affects the work that they make and how they perceive themselves. Mm -hmm. So something I really like from this piece that he says is, what we say influences what we make and put out into the world. Imagine yourself at the end of your life, looking back at all you've done. Did you live a full and beautiful life producing da-da-da content? And I think actually that what he's trying to say is that being careful with words makes a difference. And that what we say does affect our actions is not just that you can separate oh i talk about it in this way but i'm really doing this actually mm-hmm. the way you talk about the project or the client or whatever it is manifest is a very common word that people use mm-hmm. nowadays i'm going to use it here what you say does manifest into the actual product and so i think even though some people might say well it's just language it's not a big deal It's hard to pinpoint every moment in time where your words affect what you're doing. But I think added up what you say out loud about your work into yourself reflects back on what you're doing. So like if I call myself a content creator versus if I call myself a writer and Mm -hmm. photographer, that affects the kind of work that I make and that I want to make and how I position myself. I 100% agree because foodie is a good example of that exact sort of thought process, right? Because if you're a foodie and you claim it, then it changes how you speak to people. This almost like a level of self-importance, right? I'm a foodie. I think that there's differences, right? Because like a chef might refer to someone as a foodie and that's different than like a a content creator calling themselves a foodie, right? I'm a foodie and I'm going to create content for you at your restaurants or give me a free meal, right? 
I think that's versus someone who's like doesn't want to carry that definition of themselves. And by doing so, it it yeah, it does subtly or not so subtly change how they behave, right? Yeah. So I totally see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think the words that you give yourself as a title or a label or just the action that you do really does change the role you take in different situations. And Paul argues that when individuals use content creator to describe their work, it locks you into a specific output and function. So yeah. he's particularly targeting the use of content creator. But what but what if you go back to that point I made, like I I could about, about it opening it up. No, more about like contextually you knowing that it's a shitty word choice, but like knowing that the person on the other side that's receiving this discussion knows exactly where where to pinpoint you right obviously i think there's there's it's actually a, like a, a bit of a like a song and dance because i could go into a room with a brand and be like i'm a content creator and i've done content for xyz they won't question what you do or mm-hmm. like they'll understand immediately but for myself if i like fully drink the kool-aid of being a content creator that's very different mm-hmm. so what i'm saying is that actually mm-hmm. it's a little bit short-sighted for you to think that content creator or whatever self-definition you have like if you actually believe it versus understanding who is receiving the message yeah i mean i guess that's about self-awareness right like what you're saying is you might have a way of speaking to yourself to define who you are and what you do and then you very strategically use a different set of language with prospective clients Mm -hmm. because you understand that you are addressing a certain type of person and trying to maybe lock down a project or yeah. whatever it is that you're trying to do to market whatever yeah. I used to you're interested in. I used to be on the side of like being very careful with the label. But in a primarily business context, shared language is actually really important for you to like understand what each other is talking about. I understand what you mean, but I'm going to clarify anyway. Hmm. I think it's still important to be careful no matter what you're saying, but you don't need to be too precious. So even though I agree with a lot of what Paul June is saying, and I think he says this somewhere too in his essay, I don't want to like misquote him, but just because he calls these like the four dirty C words doesn't mean you can never use any of these four C words again, right? There's no no extreme like that like just because there are problems with these four words doesn't mean that you you know cut them out of your language entirely i think it's just being conscious of how they might be interpreted differently and also how they are influencing yourself yeah i think that's the most interesting part for me and from paul's essay is being aware of the influence of these words on your own state of mind and your own perception of the things around you. He quotes Jocelyn K. Gly, who wrote, content is a word that was invented by people who want to create boxes that they can sell ads around, and they had to come up with a name for what goes in the box, and that word was content. In other words, if you're using the word content, that means you really don't have a vision for what you're making, because creating good content requires specificity. It requires a point of view and strong writing and the right package to frame it, to catch someone's attention and to inspire trust. This is no easy task. And I think if I unpack that quote, 
from Gly, it, it is very similar to what we've been saying, which is that when you speak to yourself about what you're doing, you need to do more than say that you make content. As in, if I, Sharice, just said to myself, I make good content, that's not enough for me as an individual to know what I'm doing or what I want to do. But I think it is potentially to my advantage to continue using the word content with the people, with the clients, with the companies and brands who understand content best. So moving on to the other words, I think next I want to talk about the use of the word creator, which I find to be the least, I take the least issue with the word creator out of these four words because to create things I think is quite neutral. But Paul's, in his essay, he says the problem with it is that it's neutral and it's too ambiguous and Mm -hmm. fluid. I suppose. What I can get on board with that he's critical of is when companies claim to be for creators. And then that's just being aware of how they use these words as marketing speak. Yeah. When you're being targeted as a product, as a creator. And examples of these companies from Paul's essay are Patreon, OnlyFans, Substack, et cetera. How did you come across this? Because, like, unbeknownst to myself, like, I'll share something, be like, "Hey, Sharice, I actually think you should talk about this one." And actually, based on the on the list of topics for this podcast, you had actually started reading this one already. I definitely saw it on Twitter. Oh, I follow Paul. I think I follow him too. I actually. had to double check that, so I must have directly seen it from him. The real question is not so much how did I see this, but why did I click on it. Right. And I did click on it because I have an interest in the use of words generally. It doesn't have to be related to creative work at all. I think English is just interesting or language is interesting. And I definitely have told you before about my beef with the word content. Yes. Which is why I also put this Which in is why you me. sent it to me because yeah. you remember that I have a beef with the word content. So this was sort of a confirmation of sorts yeah i i think personally that content is a devaluation of the work you make because it's i mean going along with what gly and paul have already written is that using the word content is to be really aware that your work is in service of some client's objective so I just don't enjoy the use of the word content to refer to everything that you make. I understand that some of the work that we make is content for the purposes of, you know, a client website or social media and things like that. But to change the way you view everything you do in that framing is, I think, unhealthy long term for you as someone who makes things. So that's my beef. And then, you know, it's it's nice to see people agree with you. Okay, so another word that's complicated, which I'm definitely sure we've talked about, is community. And the way a lot of people use community now is to mean a group of people. Paul shares an interesting definition that comes from People & Co. And they write, 
In other words, kindred spirits operating in silos aren't a community yet. What makes a successful shared activity is three things. It's purposeful, it's participatory, and it's repeatable. So essentially that community does some kind of shared activity that is purposeful, participatory, and repeatable. And I have that question, which is, is making a community? It's a bit of a Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Confidence. So for me, the way I look at it is that content, basically the consumption of content is the alignment required for you to create community. You just used all of the exactly in so the reason why is like this is why for me i'm like the framework itself is still somewhat fundamentally solid because it's a building block mm. right because ultimately that's how it works is like fandom is created around a participation and that participation could be a lot of things it'd be going to a supporting event supporting a team watching a show together etc uh, consuming a piece of apparel right so that's why for me Arguably, people find out about Macon through the content, which then if you have enough consistent interaction with it, you realize, oh, yeah, okay, like this is like a like-mindedness of, of content and people that I want to be associated with, which then creates a community. I suppose my question about that is, is consumption an activity? It's a bad word. I mean, there's, there's a pejorative take on it, but I think that it's actually, that's just the way it is. No, I don't mean it. <laughs> No, I didn't mean it in like, I think consumption is a bad thing, but is just being people who buy clothes from the same brand count as having a shared activity? But I'm saying that is a, is a thing, as an all-encompassing like consumption. I'm using consumption very loosely. Yes. Right? I understand. Like consumption Which, of yeah, coffee creates a coffee community. Consumption, you know what I mean? Like, I'm no, no, I know, I know. I just question whether that's enough. Like, is that a shared activity? Is that enough for what defines the community? No, but the thing is, like, that is the entry point into it. Like, I think community itself still has other things that are required for you to strengthen it and to create bonds. Shallow. But, so that's the beginning of a shallow community. Yeah, but if you don't have the content to align people, then you never know. If, like, content and consumption, if you don't have that to start with, you'll never even arrive. at. The hmm. Maybe there needs to be, like, levels of activities to define stronger slash deeper for sure community. wow okay. i've had i've had in the in the course of 20 minutes i've had three in-person interruptions yes as in people actually like coming to my door people who are listening to this will not realize because we will cut out all of the dead air but eugene's had a bunch of house guests because we were recording on sunday morning and he lives in what i would call is a very strong community like the other end of the spectrum from just people who drink coffee or people who buy Nike. Because what is the difference though? The difference is there are so many shared activities that are those three things, like to lean on that definition, right? Like your shared activities are purposeful. You literally feed one another, right? Cook each other meals, participatory. Everyone chips in and repeatable. And you do it frequently at a like high frequency. Yeah. Every day, every other day, and you all live in close proximity. And I suppose it's about the depth of the purpose and participation. Because if we do like drink coffee, participation is so cursory. I'm, I mean, for me, for me, I've always felt like the strongest inroads are things that are intangible. And the reason being is that 
it's just a level of commitment to something that once you understand it as a as not a, a non-material thing, it actually becomes much stronger. So I, I think to that point, like if you're unified by sneakers, sneaker culture and buying stuff, if that is your only entry point, the only thing you care about, then it's going to be very superficial. But if you and I start sharing about our experiences, oh, that when did you pick up those? Why did you pick up those? I know you're trying really hard to buy this pair that you can't find. I found one here. You should pick them up, right? So I think those are the ways that you build better hooks into things. Yeah. But it takes a lot of time and effort. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like to, to the more complex the idea and your inability to find those people makes it quite difficult. Making as a community isn't massive, but I also think because of what we talk about is increasingly niche and we just haven't really cared about finding more people to share in the conversation. Like it's not, I don't, con- I don't stay up at night thinking like, oh, I need to find more people to add that think like we do. That makes sense. I don't know that's good or bad because it could enhance a community, but at the same time, it's like, it's not what necessarily drives like my passion point, which if I was to flip the script and be like, hey, you know what, let's just like go on this massive run to like acquire new users. Mm. I don't know if making itself would be as interesting. Uh, Yeah, I don't think it would. And one thing that became clear to me as you were talking about the way I would prefer the word community to be used and how it is used is that I think an individual is unlikely to be a part of many communities in a genuine, deep way. But the way that the word community is used in a lot of client work to, I can't think of another way to put it, in commercial settings is that any product you consume results in you being a community member. Mm -hmm. So that at the same time that I'm wearing you know, a top and pants and sneakers and glasses and drinking cup of coffee. According to these companies, they see me as now this community member of like six plus communities. But I think to really be a member of community is like you said, to take a lot of time and effort and investment in something. To go off what you said about Macon's community being small, it makes sense to me because I want the people who are you know, going along with us and conversing with us to be spending time. And I feel like, you know, trying to scale up would necessarily mean that people spend less time. Like those new community members, they probably don't spend as much time thinking yeah. about making or wanting to be a part of the conversations yeah. that are happening. Like I think about this because creating a digital community and a physical community are in some ways different. The reason being is that I actually preferred our discord community to be more of like a physical thing where you and i don't need to be like engaged on small micro interactions every single day but hopefully in that one in you know five days that you know you interact with it there's something that makes you think or makes you remember it Mm -hmm. which i think is something unique because i was thinking i might not see my neighbors like matt for a week which is a long time but at the same time it's not like it diminishes my valuation of that community. But sometimes I think that in the digital world, we've been conditioned to think that- You have to check in all the time. Exactly. That's actually exactly. And I, I wonder, like maybe that's why I've often looked at the Macon Discord as something that because it doesn't move like at a rapid pace and it's generally speaking, like something you can 
still interact with mm. um, on like a, you can check in every two days and it won't move that quickly, but hopefully there's something of interest there. Yeah. And I always wonder, cause like, you're wondering, is that valuable enough? Well, I think you, you hit the nail on the head in the sense that we've been trained to think of digital communities as being really high volume, very quick moving. You have to check in multiple times a day in order to stay up to date. Right. That's yeah. like, why ig stories exist the way it is yeah or like the tiktok for you page they're built around that ethos that to really be participating you need to be here all the time yeah and i like this idea of making as a community or not just making but other deeper senses of community where you can still you can be even more connected through a lower frequency of engagement yeah. because the times that you do are, you know, thought provoking, as you said. Yeah. Okay. Coming up to the last word, which actually you happen to use already when you talked about sneaker culture, because the last C word that at least we're discussing is culture. And in my opinion, this is not from Paul. I think that's the biggest and the hardest word to use appropriately. Culture is a necessary word. Unlike the other three, which I think are, can be very like marketing speak. There are people who do studies on all the different types of culture. And so I can't see the word culture being like phased out of usage. But I think it's hard to use appropriately because unlike community, each individual is made up of many, many different types of cultural influence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying is like, if the biggest words already don't have a clear definition, it goes back to reinforce the point I made earlier. Like if the biggest words out there that are already deemed to be buzzwords don't have an agreed upon definition by creating a new word, you're, you're potentially creating a little bit more uncertainty around what you're talking. About. I don't think that the argument is to create new words. Oh no, sorry. I was just using my, my own oh, experience okay. of like people trying to be like, Oh right. Cause you had you said that example of, earlier of, of the tweet to coin a new phrase for community building but i think that for them it might actually work because like they speak at a very high level to certain individuals like very innovative thinking right sure so innovative thinking might already lend itself to certain people that that have have the the cognitive bandwidth to learn a new word that makes sense i think my takeaway is that you can use more words to talk about what you're trying to say yeah instead of trying to encapsulate everything in you know, it's something that sounds catchy. Mm -hmm. So instead of just using the word culture, can you define what type of culture, culture mm -hmm. for which people exactly? Like, what is the nature of the influence that you're trying to have on this culture? I think it's what I guess what I'm saying is that everyone could benefit from using more words yeah, rather than fewer, <laughs> which I know you're already a fan of anyway, like way back. I think something most people who've worked with Eugene will remember is him hammering home the idea of over-communication. Yeah. It's better to spend more time saying exactly what you want someone to do or mean to say rather than like make assumptions. Yeah. Paul wraps up with this quote that I'm going to read. These C words are a safe place to hide and what all new projects need, companies, books, products, etc., is courage to name what they are and what they want to become. Don't set yourself up for failure by using fluffy words like content and community. 
Working around this language will make your ideas stronger and give them a fighting chance to resonate in the world. And something I said earlier that I said was my interest in talking about this piece was the benefit of people as individuals taking his argument to heart. And I think that's the biggest point of change someone might make. I mean, I think it's okay to speak externally to your prospective clients or on your website, et cetera, to use these words that we share, right? Like Mm -hmm. that shared language. But I think the bigger difference is when you are talking to yourself about what you make and being more intentional Mm -hmm. about defining the project or what you want to do or how you see yourself. I agree with Paul in the sense that like, if you look into your future and think, I want to be a content creator who influences communities, that's not precise Mm -hmm. enough to give yourself as an individual direction or to know what you're going to do next. Yeah. Any final thoughts from you? No, I really enjoyed this discussion. I think it's like touches on a lot of things. It's like the world we live in, quote unquote, creative culture meets language, we meets messaging, communication. So it touches on a lot of interesting topics. Has it all. Yeah. All right. Over to you. It's interesting because our topics are actually quite, quite similar. Fair warning before we start, for some reason, I kept mixing up Nathan Basquez's last name with Basquez. I think, I theorized, because I was thinking about Basque cheesecake, which is incorrect, obviously. So yeah, I apologize because I made that mistake. At any rate, the author's name is Nathan Basquez. You can go read him on Divinations. So my topic this week is how memes control everything, the economics of belief transmission by Nathan Basquez for Divinations. I'm going to start off with this paragraph. So Divinations is primarily business focused. So the context in which they position this is like how to get people to kind of buy into a business in a way, like an idea, a business idea. This is a paragraph that I want to share. There is an evolutionary process that governs the ways people adopt and abandon ideas. In much the same way as bodies can be seen as survival vehicles for genes, minds can be seen as survival vehicles for memes. Once you understand how this process works, you can understand much better why people behave the way they do. An incredibly valuable skill in a world that seems to be getting stranger by the day. So before we jump in, a bit of a history lesson. The word meme was originally defined by Richard Dawkins in his 1976 book, The Selfish Gene. And for Dawkins, memes were dubbed a unit of cultural transmission or a unit of imitation. Tunes, ideas, catchphrases, clothes fashions, ways of making pots or of building arches. And I think that Basquez actually has a great explanation uh, that encapsulates everything. And he says that the fundamental essence of memes isn't that they're funny or come from extremely online people. Memes are essentially just patterns we imitate to achieve some desired effect. For example, in fifth grade, I learned to play guitar because I thought it would make me cool. In college, I smoked clove cigarettes and conspicuously read Heidegger. Today, I write blog posts about business strategy and wear a recreational continuous glucose monitor. So I think to this point, does it all kind of make sense? It's more about the framework of memes. Yeah. Right. And I think it's actually the study of memes. Yeah. Which is, I think, fascinating because we're now going beyond what the typical definition of memes are. 
Right. And it goes back to our original thing. It's like memes are the entry point, but they can be so much more. But without using the sort of dropping in that, that understood word of a meme, you can't actually go deeper. Well, I was just thinking, I don't think of it as an expansion of the meaning because I follow along with Bastia's that this is how memes function. I think the expansion is how we use the word on a day-to-day usage. But memes were actually this all along, is what I'm saying. Correct. Memes they were happen just, this all along, but we don't ever discuss the deeper roots. The intricacies of yeah, it. the intricacies of yeah. memes and the study of it. Yeah, because at the very base level, memes are just funny things. Like we yeah. never take memes for anything more than entertainment value for the most part. True. Right? We, there, there's a little bit of, there's commentary on more complex things, but it often serves primarily as an entertainment vehicle, right? But I mean like, sorry, this is going to be a bit of a step away. I would say that all entertainment things can be studied on this more expansive, deeper level. Like last week, we talked about Squid Game. Mm-hmm. But the vast majority of the time, people take all of this as entertainment only. Okay, tell us more about what Bastos writes. I feel like I'm quoting a lot of his, of his stuff, but I think that he does such a great job of just clarifying the idea. Sure, go yeah. for it. So in this one sentence, Vasquez states so accurately, in this way, memes are basically models of reality or theories of cause and effect. If you do X in this type of situation, then Y will happen. The nature of memes is to be mimicked because they work. And I, I, I really feel that in this time and place, what memes do is create an immediate shared language. And this is a carryover from the first topic because I think that shared language is something that's so difficult to achieve. But when it's achieved, it's actually very powerful because language allows, you know, 10,000 people who have never met each other that have a general agreement on something and consensus on something to move forward. When you said that it connects back to my topic, I suddenly thought about maybe actually what companies want from content, from content creators who make content is the creation of memes because it's the creation of memes around their product that results in deep community, that shared language that just they, this group of people have. What memes do is they create this powerful loop where sharing an idea generates some sort of transmission and it begins to snowball. So adopting the meme surpasses the cost of not joining the movement and you yourself, the adopter, then onboard new adopters and thus meme carriers, right? I guess in short, that last sentence is really about virality. Because I was with a friend yesterday. I'm like, oh, so like what's, what's new? What's big in the world of like Twitter memes these days. And he's like, oh, the new one is now is like red flags. So what it means is that- I've seen them. Yeah, for people unfamiliar, it's like, oh, if someone does this, then that's a red flag, right? It's just- Like if like, uh, it's, someone- It's literally just like left quotation marks, statement, right quotation marks, and then maybe 10 red flag emojis. Yeah, like the one he said was like, oh, if she doesn't have sex on the first date, that's a red flag. I mean, I'm just- Paraphrasing what he said. Well, I was going to say to make fun of ourselves, it yeah. could be, no, usually it's a statement from the person to whom you, there are red flags. So it would be like, I have a podcast with 190 episodes, red flag, red flag emoji. Oh. And that would be like red flags about that person. So I don't know if I, my example is incorrect. Well, I mean, what you've demonstrated actually is that memes mutate very quickly. Yeah. As well. 
I don't think memes have to be accurate because the misuse of memes is also intentional yeah. to some degree. It's like language, right? Well, memes are a kind of shared language, as you yeah. said, and language mutates in ways that are beyond our control because mm -hmm. it's like incremental change by a very large group results in these like barely perceptible shifts. And that's what happens with memes like all the time. That's why they change from day to day. When you ask someone yesterday, what is the Twitter meme is going to be different from when you ask someone two days from now. Yeah. Yeah. Basquez also suggests that beyond our biological functions, anything beyond that is something that is governed by memes. So obviously that might sound incorrect here because you kind of have to divorce yourself from the fact that memes are more than just entertainment JPEGs, right? But if you explore the definition of a meme, it's the culture that memes transmit. So literally anything and everything that falls within culture could be knowledge, beliefs, theories, tech, traditions. Those can all be part of this meme vessel. So just to recap, Bastiaz, if you do X in this type of situation, then Y will happen. Trigger, behavior, result, cause, effect. So that's his breakdown of it. Uh, and I've said this before, like not recently, but I think quite a few episodes ago where I think the participation in a meme and even further the creation of a piece of content tied to the meme, not necessarily starting the movement, requires obviously a certain level of foundational knowledge, right? You need to understand the meme is trending. So you need to be kind of plugged in. You need to understand the context and you kind of need to find a relatively untouched but relevant topic to insert into said meme, right? And if done properly, you get social currency, right? People like give you engagement, they think you're funny, they give you follow, et cetera. So that's sort of the interesting thing. I personally really enjoy that intellectual exercise of trying to think of like a meme that fits into something or just like even for me correlating something to something else that seems very disparate. So I use that example like, um, you know, I, I, I often like find funny videos and I send them to myself to download and like upload on Instagram stories. And I'm like, oh, a person getting hit with like a ton of water at a waterlog amusement park ride. It's like, oh, you thinking you want all that work and the outcome of having all that work, right? No, I, I'm only giggling because I understand what you're describing because my brain also gets rewarded in the same way because it's like a small problem to solve creatively and then when you can make those like unrelated but related connections you feel really good because we haven't we haven't really used it in like a very direct sort of quotation recently but like macon's early tagline was like unexpected connections which then became our conference name yeah unexpected connections is really just like can you take you know how people interact with this and interact with that and then make a thing that makes sense with the visualization around it. That's actually one of the interesting things about memes is that you're taking a photo to visually represent something unrelated. Yeah. And that in itself is actually super powerful because people inherently can understand and digest and be on the same page. Because one thing that's great about visuals is that there's very little room for interpretation with photos, mm. right? It's not about like words where I'm coming from a different culture. I look at a photo of a bird pooping on a kid's head and he has like a sad face. Like there's not really anything up for interpretation there, which is why I think that the photographic aspect of memes are such an important part of reinforcing that shared language or that shared understanding of a message. 
even while there's little room for misunderstanding, what is so interesting, which you've already pointed out, is that participation in reading and making memes requires so much foundational knowledge. Even the the photo, which, as you said, can be difficult to misinterpret, tends to have a lot of things that it builds upon. Even what you said about the bird pooping on the kid's head and the kid's expression requires people to be able to describe, to understand why the kid's expression looks that way. Do you know what I mean? It's like built on so much of you as a human, your understanding of the world. And like, why is it funny that, I know this goes to sound obvious, but why is it funny that a bird is pooping on someone's head? Yeah, You know, you have to understand that that's not a common thing or that that is like annoying. And then on top of that, the other thing too is like understanding your audience. Like my audience is probably more aligned with me on certain things than other things. So if I create a meme around soccer or like growing up in a small town, that might not hit as hard as like me talking about like creative work, like a client-based problem or something like that, right? Or like an issue with a malfunction on Adobe CC. Yeah. Right. I read this article and I thought to myself, this is like subjects that people could write whole books on. Yeah. So Bastia's... He does say that at the end too. Does he? Bastia does say he's like, well, he just said he could talk about it all day. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much more than just an essay, like this discussion of how memes work. Yeah. Obviously, the struggle is that it moves so quickly. So you could have said something and then you have to update it again. Yeah. Yeah. But... For me personally, this is what's really fascinating is that as much as we see all these digital movements happening, if you really want to like peel back the layers, it's not that different. They just like manifest themselves and look different, but the very core of it. So what he's mentioned there, like the transmission of culture existed, like the original definition of memes predates social media. Which means that in theory, it's like, it's not a new concept, but rather the digital world has really just allowed things to accelerate and things to spread faster rather than create whole new ways of thinking. That makes sense. Like, I I don't doubt that there's new ways of thinking, but like the paradigm shift may not be as big as you think it is. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. And I'm going to say something which sounds like faux deep, but (laughs) essentially humans haven't really changed that much. Yeah, there's like biological innate things that we need done. And that's like obviously the most important, but status seeking behavior, that's not necessarily new either. Exactly. Right. It's just that the internet helped facilitate that. Yeah, I would say so. I, I mean, I agree with what you're saying about like the acceleration of different types of communication and both of our topics. We talked about how things shift very quickly and the contextual understanding changes a lot. And that's different from like, you know, pre-internet times when things moved more slowly and there was much more widely shared context. But at the root of it, as you're saying, when you look beyond like the mode or the visual display, humans in thousands of years before us were participating in types of memes. That's really fascinating to me. Slash, is it depressing though that humans haven't changed that much? We haven't become significantly more evolved sophisticated creatures yeah i mean i am i think that in general like one of the most 
interesting and fascinating things is like, you know, the rise of capitalism and how much of that was a, a fundamental mindset shift versus it being just like something that we all wanted to do in the first place. Like, I think that comfort and security are things that we all wanted, but like, I've had this discussion with somebody and I actually don't want to get too into it because I don't have enough knowledge, like foundational knowledge, but like the the difference in mindset between running an agrarian society versus the mindset shift to run a capitalist society. And arguably, I mean, up for debate, but like we do have differences in individualism and collectivism in terms of ways of thinking. So there is something there that is not necessarily defined on a biological level right that's sort of constructed yeah nurture anyways that's all i got all right enough head scratching for today that's a good place to wrap things up if you are interested in hearing more about Megan, reading and listening to some of our stories focus on the sights and sounds of creative culture you can visit us at macon.com you can also subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and platforms. If you like this podcast, you can do us a huge favor by sharing this podcast with a friend or supporting us via patreon.com slash Macon. Patreon members get access to the Macon Discord, where we talk about episodes of Making It Up and everything else going on in global creative culture. Become a member and join us in those conversations. I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice. And this is Making It Up. <laughs>